Today's episode is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move. People like you. They're going to keep you ready for whatever life deals you. Whether it's the streets, whether it's the peaks, DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, badass adventurers, big time creators, all those people using DB and you can too. Over the past decade, they've designed and developed, released and refined the best bags in the market, including this patented hookup system where you can attach smaller products to your backpack. It's pretty sweet. So if you're traveling, if you're getting back out there, if you're trying to run away from a disease, take a DB bag with you. Uh, We're teaming up with DB to give you 10% off your next purchase. Just use the code POD10 or go to the link in our show notes. Don't go to sleep, motherfucker. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Doss? You've lost half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Yeah, baby, Murdoch's back. What's up, buddy? Hey, man, I'm glad that I'm back. I don't was... think, I, I gotta say, here's what happened. I'm, my name is Brian. We host the show together. Murdoch didn't make the episode about the Illuminati, and now there's a lot of rumors that you might be part of the Illuminati. That's that's what I'm getting in listener mail, is like, is Murdoch part of the Illuminati? So I want to say about the Illuminati, did you ever see the, the, the conspiracy they thought that Chappelle was part of the Illuminati because he always would have one pant leg up? Like... <laughs> He would have on sweatpants, like a T-shirt, smoking a cigarette up on stage, and one pant leg would be up. And that was like his Listen, saying, I'm in the Illuminati. It, that means I'm in the Illuminati every Saturday morning, because I just roll out of bed. I'm playing Yahtzee with my kid, and I'm, I'm sporting the Illuminati look. If you want to get involved in the show, we are the story guys at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and t- today, we're going to hit we're gonna hit a real sweet spot, Murdoch. We're going to do a little bit of true crime. The audience loves that, right? We're going to hit 70s and 80s hard rock. We love that on this show. Yeah. Uh, We're going to hit satanic panic. I love that. I really like satanic all things. And we we have, much like that Kiss episode we did, a a misunderstanding surrounding a particular band's name. Wow. This is what I I need to know from you, man. What did 12-year-old Mark, 12-year-old Murdoch, what did that guy think of ACDC. They were my first CD. I, I got two CDs together. Two CDs. To, you've t- you told me this. ACDC and then the second one was like Whitney Houston, right? That's right. Oh, man. That should be a double episode. The ACDC Whitney Houston episode? That's next week. I, both like meticulously produced. Yeah, right? We're going to talk about the producer. We're going to talk about the producer briefly. But I want to know... Okay, so you obviously liked them because they were your first uh, CD or, or album. Yeah, but but remember, I don't know about you. Did you did your family... Were, did they not like you? Would they not let you listen to ACDC? Because for me, I remember that Angus would wear like devil horns. Yeah. So he had like this... He had like a... a this. There was this satanic sort of thing yeah and then they they had a song about um the highway the to hell the, the, well yeah highway to hell and like the, <laughs> the night of the the long knives like they had they had songs that were a, a lot of know, a lot of stuff about the devil right that's going to be a key component to this story and we're going to see where it gets him so kiss leans into it right acdc 
just kind of plays like they play it as a joke kind of I think in, in retrospect and it comes back to bite them it never really comes back to bite kiss outside of you know they, they're being probably like me not really probably being allowed to have kiss records so I want to know this given that you had that impression of them even as a young kid what did you think ACDC the letters stood for oh um absolutely it was against Christ damn Christ that's what it stood for <laughs> when never, I was a I kid. I never heard that. I heard Antichrist devil child. Yeah. That how was, about that? Against Christ, damn Christ. Who That's told you that? Where did you get that one from? I got I got that I got that from some the telephone game where I grew up, man. Someone <laughs> told me so I at some point I realized that was bullshit. But but I do remember very specifically that was a thing. Do you know what the band says it actually stood for? Do you know the origin story of that moniker? No, no, okay. I'd love to hear. That badass rock band says they got their name from a sewing machine. <laughs> the Young Brothers have asserted that they saw those initials on their sister Margaret's sewing machine. Alternating current, direct current, an electrical term. Very underwhelming. They and, and they literally, I mean, this is what they say. They were like, man, we could harness that sort of power as a rock band. And uh, it, there's a quote Malcolm Young says at one point. Uh, you tell them a sewing machine story and they're still going to think, nah, there's got to be more to that than this. <laughs> no, it's such a boring, such a boring I, story. I personally find this hilarious. I mean, these dudes have a perfectly reasonable origin story. And in the height of satanic panic, the masses just choose to say basically that is too dumb of a cover story. <laughs> yeah. Like, and hey, in terms of records sold, I love to see like, did the young brothers sell as many records as the Gibb brothers? Oh, people don't think about ACDC as a family band. Yeah, but, no, but I, totally are. not. I, I had kind of forgotten. And the other thing you, I mean, I don't think of ACDC for having the longevity that they've had. But do you, re- I mean, you're going to laugh at me. I didn't realize that Thunderstruck came out in like 1990. Because of my yeah. age, it's just always kind of been around, you know. But I, I, I would have told you it was an older song than that. Like they had hits for decades, uh, all the way up into the 2000s to a certain degree. And I, okay, so I. I bring up the name to start with because we've tread this water before with Kiss. And and like I said, we saw how Kiss leaned into it. Sure, think we're evil, right? That strategy totally worked for them. But a misunderstanding of ACDC's connection to the Prince of Darkness actually caused them some real problems, cost them some real money, and dogged their reputation. And it all had to do with their hat showing up at a crime scene. Do you know this story? <laughs> No. <laughs> have, you, have you ever owned any ACDC merch? Let's talk about that. Yeah, I, yeah, I had a Highway to Hell T-shirt. That oh was yeah, the, you did. Hell yeah, you did. Like what era? Like when? The, like how old were you when you owned that T-shirt? Oh, that was the late late eighties, I guess. So I do remember. I did want to tell you. I have. So you got thunderstruck. I now remember being twelve or thirteen. And, and going to the video store and running a VHS that was an ACDC live show from Paris. And it was 79. So it was the Highway to Hell tour. And so I had Bon Scott on it. And, and it was absolutely crazy. And that blew my mind because then I got to see what they looked that I didn't know what they looked like. You know, listen, dude, if there was a time machine, I know a lot of people would go kill Hitler. 
but selfishly, right. I think I think I'd go back to the day that you went up to the video store and rented that, and I'd come watch it with you. <laughs> I just I want to know, baby Mark, watching ACDC and having his mind blown watching the Highway to Hell in Paris tour. Like I want to be in that room so badly. Imagine not having an auxiliary out or RCA plugs out of a TV and there's just the thing where you put there's the plug that goes in the wall and there's the thing for the bunny ears yeah. and that's all that's on it so if you want to listen to it you get like your big boom box next to it and you record it so you can listen to it after you have to give it back to the video store so you that actually put your boom box thing. next to the TV and taped the ACDC live video so you could listen to that terrible quality audio later. Yeah. Yes. Hell and yeah. I listened Hell to yeah. and I listened to Kiss's Animalize uh live that was from eighty four and I might I might have been eleven or twelve, so I the, guess. These stories illustrate why when both of us we knew each other when Spotify came stateside. <laughs> And why both of us lost our freaking minds and like just went into a room by ourselves for like a week and nobody could find us. Like, you can't understand unless you've had that struggle. My thing was taping songs off the radio and trying to miss the DJ talking. Like, that was my big thing. Like, I was like, okay, if I listen right now, I can get the beginning of Janet Jackson's again right after he says number five on the countdown. You know, like, I can work this out. And uh, it never quite worked. But it is how I learned all of the lyrics to Lisa Loeb's Stay. All of them. No, oh, what a great song. Which is now anyway, a parody commercial for Geico. And every time it comes on, my kids are like, is that a real song? I'm like, you have no idea. But back to uh, the, the Devil Worshippers. You know what I what pop culture character comes to mind for me when I think of ACDC merch? Uh, no. But, butthead. Huh. Well, and, and that's I, interesting. Well, he's always wearing an ACDC shirt. And I think that character oh. was brilliant. Because most dudes who grew up in a certain era recognize that archetype, right? Because we all had a friend with an older brother who totally was that guy, right? Like a dude who had long hair and wore an ACDC shirt everywhere like it was a suit. Uh, and he said crazy stuff all the time. My, my guy was my friend Kayla from elementary school, her older brother Mick. And he definitely caused some satanic panic in our small town at the time, man. He had the look. He had the long hair, the leather jacket, the ACDC shirt. I'm pretty sure that in some way, shape, or form, Mick was responsible for me knowing any and all metal and hard rock band names. Like, I didn't know what any of the bands sounded like. But I knew all of their names in the early 90s uh, because of him and his t-shirts. He's just a bit player in my memories that, like, shows up and says stuff like, Suffocation's effigy of the forgotten will change your life, man. Like, you know... (laughs) Did you have a guy like that in your life? In study hall when I was a junior, uh, Chuck McCormick, who had a dog named Judas Priest, <laughs> and some other guy, some other guy in that class, they were the ones that, that taped uh, Slayers South of Heaven for me. And then there was a Descendants live record. I'd Hell never even heard yes. of that band. Hell yes. So on the same day, I got introduced to Slayer... <laughs> their slow record and then uh i got introduced to to that band too dude those those friends are amazing like you I, I shout out to those guys who changed the lives of some nerds i you know this it doesn't have the same metal resonance but i did have a guy give me the hoodie and the blowfish album because i wanted it really bad <laughs> he wore a trench coat this was like a 99 and he was like wearing a trench coat so you know it was all it was the whole thing and i remember him just being like here take this crap and he gave me uh the uh 
that record. That wasn't 99. It would have been before 99. Uh, and it was, uh, it was all I needed, man. It was the crack I needed. Uh, so should we... I, I bring this up because it perfectly sets up the stereotype of the kind of Cretan metal fan, right? And this is the stereotype that becomes a big part of this satanic panic thing overall. It's these dudes that people don't quite understand who are talking kind of unintelligibly and are, looking, are, are wearing things that are written in weird lightning bolts and blood scrawls and, you know. Uh, so should we take a quick primer on ACDC? Set the oh, stage yeah. historically. I, I know you probably need no notes, so feel free to jump in at any time. We definitely need to do some future ACDC episodes because let me tell you, the research on this one, we're going to stay very focused on a particular period, but there is so much to tell. There is There are so many ACDC stories, and they've just, you know, member changes, drugs, longevity, death, tragedy. I mean, it's all there for them, but I want to focus on mid-80s ACDC, which is arguably a terrible time to talk about ACDC because the mid-80s for ACDC sucked. It did, but I do want to say their last record that came out last year was actually kind of good. They, that's what I mean by longevity. They've never really sucked and they've always like sort of had a hit. Like, I mean, I know they're not like getting played on pop radio right now, but like they always are sort of like, there's something where you hear their music and uh, it's crazy because this band started, as you mentioned earlier, people don't always think about this as a product of two brothers, Malcolm and Angus young. And I would say arguably the young sister, because not only did she provide the sewing machine, uh, we already mentioned that she, did you know that she's responsible for the schoolboy stage costume? Oh, I knew someone made it, but I didn't know it was so, his sister. This is hilarious. In the early days, Angus was trying other costumes on stage. He there, <laughs> he literally came out as Spider Man, Zorro, a oh. gorilla, and what? yeah. And at the time, the whole band was wearing satin, and they were like super glam at the beginning. But Margaret got Angus to try this school outfit, and it became iconic. So let's not underplay Margaret's role in her brother's success here. I don't feel like she wow. gets her due clearly. The name and the look, like she's practically yeah. the, their marketing manager. Like, give her some royalty money. I can't believe they were wearing satin. Yeah. Hey, you know, I used, I used to have a friend of mine. He had a band called The Holy Ghost, and people did think they were a religious band, and they were not. And But the drummer, they used, his name was, his stage name was Johnny Satin. And he'd go, my girl on the drums is Johnny Satin. He used to be Johnny <laughs> Satan, but now nah, he's Johnny Satin. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I keep going. I can't believe he wore their Spider-Man outfit. That's just amazing. When the band starts, they're super glammy, right? And they're starting to build a following in Australia. They're in Australia. That's the other thing we got to remember. They at one point they get a gig opening for Lou Reed on Aussie Dates, and eventually they get under the guidance of this guy who owned a big club there. They ditch their singer. They concede the glam because there's basically like two bands coming up at the same time, and they're both trying to do the glam thing. So they're like, forget it. We don't want to wear these shirts anywhere. We'll just do this bluesy hard rock thing. And that is what ends up becoming their trademark sound. Now, like I said, we're going to save all the Bon Scott drama for another day. But it should be noted, I did not know this. You know what his his initial job was? Oh, no, but I, I tell remind me. What he, is it? he was their driver. <laughs> yeah. 
it's, like, let's just talk about let's talk about getting promoted from within, right? Moving from driver to lead singer, quite the promotion, man. I don't know if HR was involved in that and they followed all the protocols you're supposed to follow when you promote from within, but that's pretty strong. I'm just gonna totally cliff notes their career here. So jump in at any point that you want to make a note. They start to rise in popularity. They have some success in the mid seventies but they become superstars on the strength of a collaboration that happens in 1979 because they meet a guy named Mutt Lang. Whew. Together, the band and Mutt, they make an album called Damn, I Feel Like a Woman. <laughs> oh, he married her. Yeah, he They did. made Highway to Hell in 79. They made Highway to Hell. They become one of the biggest hard rock bands in the world, and they start working on their seventh studio album in 80. So this is hilarious, because Highway to Hell, I think a lot of people think that's the beginning, because that's no, the beginning man. of when they rip, but yeah. they it's the freaking sixth record, Highway to Hell. Yeah, and I want to say my favorite ACDC era is the 1970s period. Like pre-Highway to Hell? Yeah, I like Highway to Hell and Back. Okay, okay. So, and the other thing... I mean, Back in Black is flawless. Well, we're getting there. At this point in their career, they are just prolific. They're putting out an album almost every year. So they put out Highway to Hell, and then in 80, they start working on this thing that becomes known as Back in Black. Now, it's during this time, February, that Bon Scott dies. And the band considers breaking up. Bon's parents actually tell the band not to do that. They start looking for another singer. Did you know that Naughty Holder applies to be the singer of ACDC at one point? The guy, no. from, the guy from Slade? No, no, I didn't know that at all. <laughs> I thought that Brian was just pretty handy. Well, Angus Young actually remembers Bon telling him at one point about this guy he saw sing with another band named Brian Johnson. And so they look him up. And with a nudge from Mutt, the guys audition Brian and immediately are like, well, this is obviously the dude. So that happens in February. They hire him by April. They get back in. They finish back in black. And it becomes the biggest selling album of their career. Hell's Bells, You Shook Me All Night Long, Rock and Roll and Noise Pollution, and, of course, the title track. The album reaches number one in the UK, number four in the US, and it was on the Billboard 200 album chart for 131 weeks wow hey man i just thought of an acdc thing i bet on my bucket list that you've never been able to do you ready yeah is walk into a honky-tonk country bar and people are line dancing and all of a sudden and they play girls got rhythm by acdc off of highway to hell (laughs) and people line dance to it it's totally it is totally a riot on the dance floor so there's there's one more record with Mutt after this, and that's for those about to rock in 81. So that that's quite a run. You go yeah. Highway to Hell, Back in Black, for those about to rock. In 83, they decide they want to go back to their roots, and they tell Mutt so long, right? They make this record called Flick of the Switch, and let me tell you, not a good decision. Uh, it doesn't do well, and it puts them in a lull after these past four years where they've basically just been absolutely top of the top of the game so this is where our story for today picks up in april 1984 where in california all the way across the world from australia fear is gripping the hearts and minds of people all over the west coast this is the part of the show where i razz you like i do every week about your love of documentaries so i'm going to mention a few movies slash document documentaries i want to see how many of these you've seen right okay Okay, from 1989, have you seen Manhunt, Search for the Night Stalker? No. 
Have you seen the 2002 film directed by Chris Fisher called Night Stalker? Or the 2009 film written and directed by Uli Lommel called Night Stalker? Or the 2016 (laughs) film directed by Megan Griffiths starring Lou Diamond Phillips, my boy, also called The Night Stalker? (laughs) No. Have you watched American Horror Story season five or season nine in which Richard Ramirez appears? Yes, because I was told to do that. And I did watch that. And, I, and I've and i never watched that show, and I was really impressed. I just didn't know how to drop back into it. Okay, these might be a little more your style. Have you seen the 2020 documentary film called Just a Guy? Have you seen yes. that Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. About This is about Ramirez and the women he corresponded with while he was yeah. in prison. And then the one I guess is most likely that you and people listening have seen is the one that came out in January of this year. It went to Netflix. It's called Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer. Did you watch that one? Um, I did watch part of it. Okay. All of these, of course, about a certain serial killer. Given name is Ricardo, known as Richard, Leva Munoz Ramirez. America basically has just come to know him as the Night Stalker. Most of Ramirez's known homicides usually involved him home invading or breaking into a home to kill or shoot someone. Also, he sometimes would just like shoot people on the freeway, like stop the car and then just shoot them. I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, In just over one year, between April of 84 and August of 85, there are 18 separate events, events, not, not individual victims, that amount to more than 30 victims. This guy just a monster case of nightmare childhood witnessing murder at a young age, being mentored by family members whose mental health was shot due to Vietnam, just on and on. I mean, the guy had this awful, awful beginning and was never really able to shake it. Remember today's episode? You're getting it because of DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move like you stay ready for anything. If you're back out there, if you're still, you still got the courage and the time and the vacation days to go on a little adventure, make sure you're taking a DB bag with you. Mm-hmm. They have designed and developed and released and refined the best bags in the market, including that cool hookup system where you can take the smaller stuff and attach it to the bigger stuff. We're teaming up with DB. We've got you 10% off your next purchase. Just use the code POD10 or check out the details in our show notes. So you could probably now like, what is the connection between infamous serial killer Night Stalker and the Young Brothers band ACDC? So it kind of all starts with this. I'm assuming you that know song. that one. Yeah, man, that song's so good. <laughs> That's the six-minute opus that closes out the beloved Highway to Hell. And it is, it's not called Night Stalker. It's called Night Prowler. But, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. When's the last time you spent any time with the lyrics of Night Prowler? Should we do that? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's okay. do that. Because I've, lis- I've listened to it probably in the last year or so i never make it really to the end of that record that much but let's hear the lyrics 
Too scared to turn your light out because there's something on your mind. Was that a noise outside the window? What's the shadow on the blind? As you lie there naked, like a body in a tomb, suspended animation as I slip into your room. Here's another portion from earlier in the tune. Because no one's going to warn you, and no one's going to yell attack, and you don't feel the steel till it's hanging out your back. <laughs> okay. This, okay. 79. All right, that song comes out in 79. Now, a song like that can be written off to libido and theatrics in most cases, right? Malcolm Young actually has said to a reporter at some time, quote, it's called Night Prowler, and it's about things you used to do when you are a kid, like sneaking into a girlfriend's bedroom when her parents were asleep. I've got to say, those lyrics read a tad bit darker than that to me, but... Yeah, but Angus is a, he's a pretty astute businessman. Yeah, right? I mean, it's an act. But be that as it may, the song might have been ignored. Totally fine. It might have gone down in history as a mostly forgotten throwaway at the end of an otherwise pretty excellent rock classic record, right? But on March 17th, 1985, Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, commits two murders in the same night. And at one of them, he loses his hat. And that hat was emblazoned oh. with the logo oh. of ACDC. Wow. I had no freaking idea. I got to say, I would have thought that you would have known this. I was really, I would have thought, you know, I'm investing a lot of time in putting this together. And, and Murdoch may be like, yeah, dude, everybody knows about the ACDC connection to Night Stalker. But it was news to me. So I'm glad to know it was news to you. It, it's really interesting. Like, I think people now totally after Columbine, like they know like Marilyn Manson came out and was like, yeah, man, I, I, I didn't make these kids shoot anybody. You know, that, you know that's a really interesting parallel. It's an interesting thing to bring up in relation, right? Because we are talking a good 15 years before that here. So that's right. 99. Um, yeah. as I sort of referenced with the trench coat earlier. And, uh, we're talking about 85, 84, 85. And yeah, I mean, I do think, quote unquote, and this may be the only time you ever hear me say this out loud, the media really did this wrong, right? Most of what I'm about to tell you is all the media being stupid, in my opinion. Now, I will almost never say that publicly or on a microphone because I have a lot of problems with how the, you know, journalism and and media in general has been torn down by politicians and people in the last, you know, five to ten to fifteen to twenty years. But I do think in this particular case, there was a lot of sensationalism that was really ridiculous. Shouts to Nick DiRizio at uh, ultimateclassicrock.com. Did a great piece on this whole story back in 2016. So I'm going to borrow heavily from that going forward for a little bit. It's in the show notes, of course. Basically, here's the gist. The Los Angeles County homicide investigator, Gil Carrillo, releases a photograph of that hat to the press. Now, the detective's perspective is, release this photo, see if anyone says, oh, yeah, man, I know this dude that wears that hat everywhere, right? I mean, it makes sense. He's looking at it like it's a blue hat or a red hat or a hat with a cat on it. But it's a hat with a band logo on it. It's the height of the Reagan years. It's the height of daytime TV peddling satanic panic. And the media just straight up latches on to this idea that the killer is connected to a love of ACDC. And... As I've already pointed out, the timing is terrible for ACDC to get thrown into this conversation because things are not good for ACDC right now. 
Yeah. Flick of the switch was a bomb. <laughs> yes. It didn't work out. Yes. ACDC increasingly start to become part of this story. And here's what happens next. An eight-year-old girl from Eagle Rock is murdered three days after the hat's found. Then a man is killed and his wife is mutilated. Then six weeks later... Harold Wu was murdered and his wife Maxine shot and raped in their Monterey Park home. It goes on and it goes on and it goes on. Victims in their 80s with satanic symbols scrawled onto their bodies. Victims that are six, six years old. Um, People getting their throats slit. Like it is just absolute chaos horror show stuff. And by August 1985, investigators finally start to get some real leads, right? So there's all leads start with the manager of a CD motel, but there's a manager of a CD motel in Tenderloin District identifying Richard Ramirez as a former guest. And then there's a rape victim who isn't killed. His undoing was that there were a couple people that he didn't kill. And so they provide enough details for a composite sketch. And then on August 25th, a witness identifies a figure speeding away in an orange Toyota after shooting a man and raping his fiance in Mission Viejo. Someone thinks to get the license plate number they find the car they take fingerprints and the guy didn't wipe it well enough and boom they have prints they have a name they have ricardo richard munez ramirez and that is their guy now police had a dmv photo and a name and so what does that lead to it leads to some reporter finding a guy named ray garcia who grew up with ramirez in el paso texas like 20 years before and of course he gets on the news going, yeah, man, dude, that guy loved ACDC, man. He loved ACDC. <laughs> Wouldn't have been 20 years before, probably 10 years before. That turned into headlines like ACDC music made me kill at 16, Night Stalker admits, and mass killer driven by rock and devil wow. worship. And it leads to actual reports in the news claiming that ACDC stands for Antichrist Devil's Child. What did you say it stood for? Against Christ, damn Christ. <laughs> Against Christ. That's 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 Marshall County style, but <laughs> some that's some rough and tumble on that oh, acronym. Man, it also leads to stuff like this. Special report on evil rock by examining the possible connection between heavy metal and one of the most heinous crimes Los Angeles has ever seen. Larry. Thank you very much, Terry. The crime is the walk-in killings. The suspect. Richard Ramirez. And the question is, did the band ACDC drive him onto a personal highway to hell? (laughs) The guy who wrote that script is real proud of himself. Oh, 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 say personal highway to hell. Uh, I mean, it's 2021, and we know that ACDC turned out fine, right? Like, everything turned out okay in terms of reputation and profit. But to remind you one more time of the context, they are really in a full career lull here. Uh, at least from a critical respect angle. And once that hat is found, like concerts get canceled and controversy grows. And remember our old friends from back in episode 28 that you told us about, the Parents Music Resource Center? Oh, yeah, the PMRC. They get all up in arms trying to find this link between the music of ACDC and Satanism. And poor ACDC who... You know, man, they're just kind of doing the thing. I like, and I, they do kind of strike me as a bunch of dudes who it never occurred to them that anyone would ever take this seriously. Like, I don't necessarily have proof of that, but like, that's the vibe I get that they're like a bunch of guys who are like, dude, you know, it'd be hilarious. It'd be hilarious, dude, if you wore devil horns on stage. 
It's like, dude, you know, it'd be funny. We should just call it Highway to Hell, man. Like, I, it just doesn't seem to me that they ever thought, oh, there could be actual ramifications where people will think we're into this stuff. The investigator who gave the hat photo to the press has actually said on the record, quote, the press assumed an awful lot and the press put a lot more into the significance of that hat than the homicide investigators did. So what happens to the Night Stalker? In case you're listening to this and you haven't seen one of the half dozen things I mentioned, movies or docs that have been made about it, once the police ID him, they release an old mugshot and it's like the biggest story in the country. But this is hilarious because Richard Ramirez is paying no attention to what's on the news or in the newspaper. And on August 30th, he takes a bus to Tucson, Arizona to visit his brother. Wow. He has he has no idea that he's the lead story in like literally every major newspaper and television news program. He Something happens. He doesn't get to meet his brother. He goes back to L.A. It's early August 31st, and he walks past police officers who were literally staking out the bus terminal in hopes that he would show up. Like, they just thought, oh, this guy's going to try to leave L.A., so we'll stand here and see if he gets on an outbound bus, and lo and behold, he comes in on an inbound bus. Wow. He walks past the police and into a convenience store in East L.A., and there's this group of elderly Hispanic women inside the frickin' 7-Eleven, and they're like calling him El Matador, which literally means the killer in Spanish, if you did not know what Matador means. Wow. Ramirez, this is like out of a movie. Ramirez sees his face on the front pages of the newspaper while he's in this convenience store and freaks out. So he starts running across the Santa Ana freeway. He tries to carjack a woman and like random people are watching and they're like, what are you doing? And they start chasing him. He hops over a bunch of fences. He tries to jack two more cars, fails, eventually subdued by a whole group of residents in this really tight-knit neighborhood. And one of them just like pulls out a fence post and starts hitting him in the head. They literally hold him down and beat him until the police show up. Because that's how big a deal this was. Like the whole state was in this panic, which I mean, I, I didn't even read half of what he did but that little clip that i read about the what he was doing like almost every day during that period in uh june july and august of that year absolutely terrifying stuff right so when they find him they're like dude we got him so police take him into custody the arrest takes place three days before acdc's fly on the wall tour is supposed to launch wow and, yeah. and oh oh and guess what outfit Richard Ramirez chose for himself that day that he took the bus back to LA and got freaked out and started running down the Santa Ana freeway. Was he dressed up like a, a school schoolboy? <laughs> <laughs> That's really what I thought. That's really the first thing I close, thought. Close. He was wearing an ACDC t-shirt. Oh man. So I mean think about you've got to stop and think about how big a story this was. So they grab the guy, he's wearing an ACDC shirt, and and this means ACDC now has problems with this tour. Nobody likes the new record. They're launching this tour at the at literally at the moment that this this the epitome of evil to nineteen eighties America is taken into custody wearing the band's t-shirt. According to the book ACDC Uncensored on the record, there were hotel chains where they were just straight up across the board saying, no, you can, uh, ACDC cannot stay in any one of our hotels. Wow. There were boycotts and, and, and calls for cancellations and all sorts of stuff happening. 
and, and they had a they had a record out that had a song on it that went I I I shake your foundations I I I shake them real good <laughs> like that's that's the chorus of shake your foundations <laughs> now the band only had to cancel one show that was at Costa Mesa in California local radio stations around the city were getting pressure from everyone to not play the new record now they may have been getting pressure from themselves because you just gave us a glimpse of what that sounded like but (laughs) several record stores carry notices warning customers not to buy acdc's new album and their record highway to hell pulled out of the store now meanwhile ramirez never backs down from this lunatic satanic panic thing he's playing up right at his first court appearance he raises a hand with a pentagram on that he drew on drawn on pentagram and yells hail satan on August 14th, th- this is insane, dude. On August 14th, the trial's interrupted because one of the jurors, Phyllis Singletary, doesn't show up. Later that day, they find her shot to death in her apartment. Oh. The jury, absolutely terrified, thinking that Ramirez has some you know, connection on the outside. But ultimately, it's determined that Ramirez didn't have anything to do with her death and that she was just shot and killed by her boyfriend, which is a really terrible coincidence. Um, and the boyfriend later commits suicide with the same weapon in a hotel. I mean, listen, I'm not a forensic investigator, but that sounds fishy to me. You're telling me that this guy just happens to be dating this woman who just happens to be on this trial. And then they both end up dead with the same gun. I don't know. Man. Maybe I've, maybe I've heard too many other podcasts about crime, maybe. but Maybe those ACDC guys are very powerful. <laughs> September 20th, 1989, Ramirez is finally convicted. Uh, 13 counts of murder, five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, 14 burglaries. During the penalty phase of the trial, that happens on November 7th of 1989. Now, remember, this is 85, so it takes four years to get to court. That is so crazy. And blow up your videos already come out. Right, that right. Record, so that record was really good. They that had who made who on it. They start okay. I mean, that's again. I love that you you don't need my notes. They, what's the movie? The Stephen King movie, right? They get a lift Mac- from the Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, they get a they get a lift from Maximum Overdrive. They're kind of back in the in the driver's seat, all puns intended. Um, and With their careers, the yeah, their their career is is swinging back, right? So it it, it took this big, but. It takes four years for them to get Richard Ramirez sentenced. He ends up being sentenced to the gas chamber, but, I mean, they immediately start doing all sorts of appeals, and he he never actually gets killed by the state. I don't, I mean, Ramirez has since died, but it wasn't because of the government. He actually had liver failure in 2013 and died at the age of 53. He was in death row in San Quentin that whole time. Wow. Now, when... They give him the death sentence. He's walking out of the courtroom, passes reporters, and he says, big deal, death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. Okay. Also, most expensive case in California history until a few years later. OJ? OJ Simpson happens, yeah. Yeah. So that kind of seems like the end of the story, right? I mean, ACDC ultimately didn't actually have much to do with any of it. Makes you wonder about who buys your merch, though. And... Maybe there is such a thing as bad press. And then they kind of rebound. They get the maximum overdrive thing. They put out that record you mentioned. uh, And then Thunderstruck happens in 90, and they're back at the top of the world. Thunderstruck is like, I mean, they probably make enough mailbox money off of Thunderstruck alone at high school football games. 
to be, you know, in good shape. It seems like the rest of the, the end of the story. But there's actually another murder we have to talk about in regards to the ACDC. All right. Do you know about this one? No. Okay, this one's more recent, and it does not involve Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. And it actually doesn't actually quite happen, but it very much involves the band. I'm just going to read you a headline from 2015. ACDC drummer sentenced to home detention for murder plot. Oh, yeah. I sure remember this. Because they had to replace the drummer. This comes from The Hollywood Reporter. A New Zealand judge sentenced ACDC drummer Phil Rudd to eight months of home detention after the musician pleaded guilty to threatening to kill a man who used to work for him along with possession of methamphetamine and marijuana. (laughs) Kind of feels like you could lead with that. New Zealand judge has sentenced ACDC drummer Phil Rudd because he was high on meth and marijuana uh, to home detention after he was saying he was going to kill a guy. Rudd uh, pleads guilty to the charges in April acknowledges in a court summary of the facts that he'd offered large amounts of cash, vehicles, and a house to a, quote, an associate after asking this person to have the victim, quote, taken out. He also acknowledged that he directly said to the victim he was going to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Phil, Guys, a very competent drummer. Meth is bad. Meth is bad. Ironically, during the whole Night Stalker incident, Phil wasn't in ACDC. So he only took a break, you know, until this happened. He only took one break. He was in the band the whole time, except from like 84 to 90 or something like that, maybe a little bit longer. Um, He stepped out because he and Malcolm weren't getting along and they like were hitting each other and getting into fistfights. And so right after Flick of the Switch, right after they recorded it, before it was even released, I think, he left, and then they called him, and he came back in the 90s. And so they replaced him in 2015 uh, because of this, but then they, as soon as this got all taken care of, they brought him back. So he's in the band now, and on that release last year, I believe he was the drummer. Yeah, and Malcolm, we lost Malcolm Young, and people don't realize the significance of of Malcolm because it's him and Angus's band. And um, like I've saw tributes from all these metal guitar players talking about like, you know, the first time they learn all these ACDC songs, they realized they were learning the rhythm parts. Like they were, they were learning all of Malcolm's parts first. And uh, yeah, it's like, and so he was a big writer too. So yeah, and that was real recent. Well, and so often you see when there's siblings in a band, like you know, one of them's behind the drum kit, one of them's the singer, or you know, one of them is the guitar player, one of them's the bass player. You don't always see the both guitar players, right? Yeah, this was it. If you want to get involved in the show, you got something to say about ACDC, the Young Brothers, Richard Ramirez, um, you know. Shoot us a note. We are the story guys at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. You can always uh, leave us a review as well, uh, iTunes or wherever else you download the show from. Um, it's not called iTunes anymore, is it? You know, that Apple product, that big company Music. that where you can download stuff from. Leave it there. Put a bunch of stars. It helps us uh, spread the word of the show, and we really do appreciate that. Um, anything else we need to take care of before we uh, sign off for the week? No, just remember to keep telling stories. That voice is inspiring. (laughs) 
Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.